Hello, and welcome to Pause Pop, positively pop culture, where we talk about things we love enthusiastically and without guilt. I'm Carrie Gessner. And I'm K.W. Taylor. This week, we're talking about the Netflix series Bridgerton, the byline writing app, and Maggie Rogers' album Heard It in a Past Life. So, if it's okay with you, I'm I'm just gonna start and jump in. Is that cool? Yeah, do it. Okay, have you listened to any Maggie Rogers? Not knowingly, no, I have not. I've <laughs> vaguely heard of her, but I want to be educated, so please tell me all about at least a short version of who she is and, and about this album in particular. Yes, okay. So, I will do my best because I don't talk about music <laughs> in a in a very <laughs> articulate way. But my friend Erica introduced me to her just a couple months ago, so I also did not know who she was for a while. She's a singer-songwriter, and there's a great video. I think she went to NYU. I'm not quite... I, You know I don't love details, but, <laughs> <laughs> but there's a video of Pharrell coming to their songwriting class to teach a master class, mm-hmm. and Pharrell gives them feedback on all of their songs. So because he's new to to the people there, she talks a little bit about herself. And she grew up on the coast of Maryland as a banjo player. Mm. So she's really into folk music. And I guess when she got to college, that was what she was playing. And then she studied abroad in France. And the way she phrases it is she had a spiritual experience with dance music there. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't quite know what that means, but... (laughs) (laughs) But I think you can kind of hear that in her music now because there's always sort of this driving beat to it. And I think she she's tried to merge the influences she had growing up in folk music, but also like nature. She, I guess, hikes a lot and likes to sample nature sounds and merge that with mm. the backbone of dance music, which is the beat of it. Mm. So... I mean, I don't really think there's a better way to describe her music. (laughs) (laughs) So if that gives you a picture, I hope it gives you a picture. Yeah. Her album, Heard It in a Past Life, came out in 2019. And that's what I've been listening to a lot. She did have a more recent album, I think from December, where it's recordings from, it's earlier recordings from like 2011 to 2016. Mm. So it's not a traditional album, I guess. But I haven't listened to that much because I've been obsessed with Heard It in Past Life. (laughs) (laughs) I even got it for my sister for Christmas. She's hard to get music for because she and her husband are both music majors and music teachers. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it's like a little frightening getting them (laughs) things that you like in case they don't like it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But she texted me last week and said they've really been enjoying it. So that's pretty cool. And yeah, I don't have a ton to say about it. I really like it. It's sort of chill music. I like to have it on in the background a lot. Mm. My favorite song from the album is called Alaska. And that's the one she played for Pharrell. And she describes it as a song about coming back into your body. Mm. And some of the lyrics that I really like are, I walked off you and I walked off an old me. Mm. And that just really kind of struck me the first time I heard it or the first time I really paid attention to the lyrics sometimes she's a little hard to understand (laughs) (laughs) so if you are new to Maggie Rogers maybe you don't want to listen to the whole album on Spotify I would suggest watching the NPR Tiny Desk concert with her 
She does three songs. It's about 15 minutes. So it's not, you know, a big time commitment. Mm-hmm. And the last song she plays is Alaska, but it's it's an acoustic version of it. And it's a lot mm. slower and it's it's still really good and interesting. But I would definitely I would definitely listen to both versions because I think they both have really cool things to offer. And then one other thing is she do you know Phoebe Bridgers? Yeah, I saw her. she was on SNL a couple weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I haven't watched that yet. Phoebe Bridgers and Maggie Rogers released a cover of Iris by the Goo Goo Dolls. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And I think it was for charity or something. So it was only available to buy for like a day. Oh. But it's, you can track it down online and listen to it. <laughs> I've done that. <laughs> <laughs> it was on YouTube for a while, but then it got taken down. But oh. it's it's still out there on the interwebs. So you can... Okay. I would definitely suggest tracking that down because it's a lovely version of that song. Cool. I'm just really into her music and I'm sort of looking forward to her next album and and seeing how she grows as an artist. Oh, and I did, one of the things I wanted to say was, I think, and this could be very wrong, but Mm -hmm. I feel like there are artists out there who love music Mm -hmm. as music. And that's really cool. And I love that they make music. But I think there are other artists who love music for what it can do, like as an avenue of exploration. Mm -hmm. And I think she's really one of the latter. Like she likes to tell stories. She likes to, like with Alaska, she is telling a story about an experience and like it's very emotional. And yeah, so I don't, I don't know if there's... There's not a real big point there, but I just wanted to point it out. (laughs) Well, as you were talking, I actually looked her up just to kind of get a visual and stuff. And a little thing that came up was that she has synesthesia. Yes. And that's interesting because I have synesthesia. Okay. But I have a different different kind than she does. And so I wonder if her music would resonate with me more as a fellow synesthesia haver. So that's cool. (laughs) Is that the official term for it? synesthesia synesthetic i don't know know (laughs) i'm just kidding (laughs) yeah that's really interesting uh so you should get back to us on that i will yeah cool 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 (laughs) but you've been really into this writing app that you like that you've is this the one you've tried to get a bunch of us into i did so (laughs) yeah so to shift gears very very dramatically i've been really into this writing app since probably I know I was playing with it over the holidays, like late December of last year, and I continue to do so. I'm not as obsessive about it as I was there for a little bit, but it's got more users now, so it's getting a little bit more popular. Cool. And it's called Byline, B-Y-L-I-N-E, and I think it's only available on iOS, the, the iPhone operating system, but you can use it on the web too. So anybody can actually use this, but if you want it on your phone, it's only available on iOS. But what it is, is it's based on the idea of what's called exquisite corpse, which sounds absolutely disgusting, but it's, a, <laughs> it's not anything gross. It's a, it's a writing challenge or activity where you write part of a story without being able to see the entire story and you pass it around to other people. So if you were doing this in person, what you would do is you would write a little paragraph or a short couple of sentences or something, and then you would pass it on to the next person. And they would only see the most recent previous passage and they would write theirs and then they would fold the paper down 
so that the next person can only see theirs. So you're only ever seeing the most recent previous passage without seeing the whole story altogether. On Byline, it's, it's all electronic, so it's easy to do. And you have up to six rounds of people who contribute to a story. You can do a setting where you leave what's called breadcrumbs or little word clues for the next set of writers, but that's optional. And the stories that use breadcrumbs do end up sounding more sensical when you finish. (laughs) But what's more fun sometimes is when they don't sound very sensical. So the majority of the stories end up being absolutely ridiculous, super silly. It's almost like Mad Libs where you like, you know, go into something blind and then you get the whole thing revealed and it's really kooky. But occasionally there'll be one that makes sense and is really touching and sweet. There was one early on that I participated in where it was the story of a woman who lost a love and she kept returning to this coffee house years later after after the I think the person had died and she meets someone new who's like an elderly man and it like is this really sweet little beginning of a love story and everybody Aww. commented afterwards that like oh my goodness not only did that hold together but it was really moving and, and <laughs> adorable and you know there's a lot of genres represented and also stories can shift genre in the middle mm-hmm. and you know characters change like the point of view changes or you know the the point of the story changes and it's just it's a lot of fun the thing that i like about it as a challenge i love i love writing challenges where there's some kind of constraint because mm-hmm. i think that really forces you to be more creative either either because you've got a very specific prompt or because you've got a word or character limit and i think you only get 280 characters for your okay. section and you can't go over at all but what's fun is to try to hit that count exactly, because mm-hmm. then you get a little badge that's called shoot the moon where you, <laughs> you hit it exactly. <laughs> and you can also react to people's contributions and make comments. And it's just, it's just really fun. And their Twitter account will sometimes share some of the best stories that come out that week. And I just really enjoy it. It's, it's the kind of thing where if you need a break in the middle of your day and you want to take something that's going to take maybe five minutes to do, but that's going to really challenge you creatively. It's fun to just read stories on there, but it's fun to either start a story or contribute to an existing story. And there's almost always stories to contribute to on there. And if there's nothing in the queue, you can always start one. Yeah. So I don't think I've ever had a story not get finished. Sometimes they take months. Sometimes they only take days. And I think that's part of the fun of it because you can start a story or contribute to it and then forget that you even did it. And then you get this little notification. It's like a little present, like, oh, that story got finished. And so you get something (laughs) silly to read or sometimes very moving. And, you know, there's some duds, there's some that didn't hold together enough to the point where it's completely nonsensical and not funny. And that's not the greatest. But I think those are the the rarity that usually if it's, if it veers off in weird directions, it is at least amusing. And cool. Yeah. And because you can do it online, too, you can go to their website. Um, So if you just search byline writing app on google you should be able to come up with it yeah i'm actually on it right now it's byline.page p-a-g-e okay great thanks and i'm looking at one of your stories oh thank you (laughs) you're welcome it does sound interesting i actually i signed up for it in the in the christmas in the holidays (laughs) when you were telling us all about it Mm -hmm. but yeah one of the big things that held me back was a have an Android phone. Yeah. And 
a Kindle tablet, so I wasn't able to download it on one of those. But I do have an account, so yeah, I should I should definitely give this a shot. Yeah. On days when you're doing some work at home, it's one of those things where if you just leave it up in the background, it's you can kind of like take a little I always take work breaks. I, I do Pomodoros all day and I end up taking like five minute breaks here and there. And that's one of the things that I often do on a break is just, oh, let me just see what's going on in byline. And it's a nice break from like being obsessed with like social media, which can get kind of depressing at times. So it's a completely, I feel like a very positive little distraction. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. And it looks like you can, I think you said you can react to other people's story yeah. or parts of their story uh-huh. so there are like little icons there there's a bomb icon yes <laughs> what does that mean i always interpret that to mean like oh that one that line was the bomb or something really ah. explosive happens during it gotcha the thing that i've noticed is there's not a lot of negativity on there people are really Good. positive they're very supportive and when something is ridiculous to the point of almost being bad people are still like like find culminating comments that say, wow, that took a wild turn or something, <laughs> which I feel like it's really a diplomatic way of saying this did not turn out very well. Yeah. But, you know, you can put a little heart emoji on something. You can comment on the whole story or individual lines. You can do sequels. And on occasion, we've done things on there where if something was just so strong or held together so much or or it got to a point and the plot didn't really get to unravel, then people will go ahead and do a second story in the series, which is that's pretty fun. Cool. So yeah, I just I just love everything about it. It's just very chill. And you can't really create a, a true sense of community on it. I see the same people mm-hmm. contributing to stories a lot on there. But but in terms of really interacting, it's just through kind of short comments, which that's about the level of interaction that I prefer on something like that. Right? Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking at one of these stories. And at the bottom, you can tab over to fun facts. Yes. And it'll tell you who shot the moon. Yes. And what the longest word is, yes. and who wrote their section in under sixty minutes, mm-hmm. and was a speed demon. Yeah, yeah. And then there's a little wrap up. The story is four hundred sixty words long, and it took nineteen days to complete. Yeah. So that's kind of fun. Yeah, the stats are really fun, and also, oh, if you use a semicolon, they'll joke about that. Like, oh, somebody's fancy. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes I try to, I try to get a semicolon in there. Or the the shoot the moon thing, I know is so silly, but when I'm like really trying to just get it exact. It's so it's so fun. I do a lot of writing things of various kinds of flash fiction, including Twitter fiction and stuff like trying to hit a hundred words exactly. Or mm-hmm. I contributed to a, a volume of 55 fiction where you write 55 short, short stories of 55 words each. And then Jeez. the ending volume had 55 authors do that. So I just love things where, you know, you have to, I love haiku for the same reason. I like to count the syllables mm-hmm. and stuff. And so this is just another sort of weird, constrained writing that really, really works for me. Yeah. Nice. I'm glad it's working out for you. Thank you. So we both, speaking of, well, maybe not speaking of writing, but I mean, it started <laughs> as a book series, but we both watched yes. the Bridgerton series on Netflix, which is now, I think, the most popular show ever on Netflix. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. I've heard that. Yeah. That's crazy. Wild. That's wild. And I just finished this just a couple of days ago and you finished it a okay. while earlier, right? Yeah, I finished it over Christmas because I really wanted to find out the big mystery of the of the show. Okay. Well, let's start with a, maybe a little synopsis. Yeah. So, based on a book series by Julia Quinn, I believe. Mm-hmm. And 
it's a romance book series. Mm-hmm. So it's set in is it Regency or Victorian? Regency. I think it's Regency. Yeah, it's uh, the reign of King George, early nineteenth century. So I think like the well mid to early like the eighteen fifties period, basically not the Victorian era yet. Okay, great. And it's it's centered around a family called the Bridgertons, and there's the matriarch who's oh my gosh i can't remember anyone's name because (laughs) i i watched it like two months ago and they've got a bunch of kids so they've got anthony is the oldest and then benedict and colin and yes their names are all in alphabetical order yes and daphne's the oldest girl Mm -hmm. and she's the one that this series revolves around Mm -hmm. and the first book revolves around so i assume that with each season they're going to sort of shift the focus a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then there's Eloise. Eloise is the second oldest girl. And then there are a couple more kids who don't really matter yet because they're too young. <laughs> they're too little. They're just yeah. little kids. Yeah. It's about Daphne coming out as, you know, an eligible woman. And she has a lot of people to... No- oh, wait, what? Why don't you take over the synopsis? <laughs> I'm so sorry. I have lost the thread of things. Okay. Well, they're they're they are in the aristocracy. They're a noble family. the The mom is the Dowager Viscountess Bridgerton, and her husband has died. So the oldest son is the current Viscount. Yeah, Anthony, and he's very like he kind of rules the family with a little bit of an iron fist, and is very determined for Daphne in her debutante season to find a very solid match that will help keep their family afloat and give them, you know, social prestige and money and and whatnot. And the other thing that's interesting, this is produced by Shonda Rhimes, who has done, like, she's an epic showrunner all over the place. And one thing that is a deviation from the books is that it is a racially integrated society. So there are dukes and even the queen are people of color, and it's not presented as a big deal. And people are having interracial marriages, and it's been like completely fine. There's several main characters who are black, including Simon Bassett, the Duke of Hastings, played by Reggie Jean Page. I didn't mean to pronounce his last name weirdly, Page. <laughs> and he is—he has become a big heartthrob. He's very handsome, and he's kind of the like potential love interest for Daphne at the beginning of the series. But there's dark secrets in his past and so it's a little bit complicated and queen charlotte the queen of england who's married to king george is a black woman also as well as oh uh marina thompson played by ruby barker she's a cousin of this other family the featheringtons and she's a black woman also so those are our main characters that help demonstrate the the diversity in the society and I think that's very cool. The The thing that sort of bugs me, though, is that despite there being this racial diversity and perceived equality, there's no gender equality yet. Yeah. <laughs> like, women are still not the ones who inherit their family titles unless, like, there's no men available in that line. We don't see any real female aristocracy except for the queen, and she's only acting as more of the figurehead monarch because King George, they kept this as is historically accurate, that he was very, very ill and just could not really perform public duties at all. Mm-hmm. So she's a little bit more visible just because of that. Um, but she's not technically the the ruling monarch. She's the queen consort. So so the fact that there is still this idea that these debutantes have to find a marriageable match, and it has to be money-related or title-related, and it's 
and the way that Anthony is very sort of like pressuring Daphne to find somebody appropriate and Lady Featherington is very insistent that Marina find a potential match who is just all about money and security and it's it's just really frustrating to see that be a thing when we've got this much better racial integration so I did find that frustrating I understand that but at the same time like you would have to change a lot of the books oh for sure yeah it just probably would not even be an adaptation anymore (laughs) yeah well maybe what i want is a version of this world or either the regency or victorian era that portrays complete gender and racial equality (laughs) (laughs) i'm sure there's a book out there somewhere that does that but can i think of it off the top of my head no No. (laughs) (laughs) i think that the i've only read a little bit of it but the parasol protectorate series of steampunk novels they're like urban fantasy steampunk. I think that was mm-hmm. sort of part of the point of those, but it's still imperfect. It's not It's not as good as it could be. So I, I'm still right. searching for that little magic. We'll keep searching. And if any listeners out there know of anything that sounds like what we're looking for, send it our way, <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> yes. So, I mean, a lot of the storyline centers on Daphne and Simon, but there's, there's another plot line that that people love about this series and that's there is a running mystery in it yes yeah so why don't you explain what the mystery is yes so that was my favorite part of it Mm -hmm. there is a mysterious character named lady whistledown and they put out a, a sort of a newspaper type thing that is basically a gossip column and it it's telling everyone oh, this person's in favor, Daphne is the belle of the ball, she's the one to be won this season, and things like that. So people's reputations can really live or die by what Lady Whistledown writes, and her identity is a secret. Mm-hmm. There are speculations that it could even be a man. Mm-hmm. But what I love is that, well, I mean, not the only thing I love about it, but <laughs> she's voiced by Julie Andrews in the show, which I think is very cool. Yeah. Because <laughs> who doesn't love Julie Andrews? Yes. That was really what kept me watching, I think. Mm-hmm. Just because, and I, I don't mean to knock this at all. It's just not really the type of thing that is my thing. Mm-hmm. So I got a little frustrated with the main storyline. Mm-hmm. And also it's a little, t- it's it's very steamy. And yeah. I was just like, mm, that's okay. Well, <laughs> I'll fast forward this part. Yeah. <laughs> But Eloise is, I assume that she's like 16. She's sort of on the cusp of coming out and she really doesn't care about society at all. She likes to read. She likes to write. Mm-hmm. And her storyline is like, I'm going to figure out who Lady Whistledown is. Yes. <laughs> so that really kept me kept me watching because I also really wanted to know mm-hmm. who Lady Whistledown is. And I found it to be quite the surprise. I don't know if you were as surprised as I was at the reveal. They do. Which, uh, the only spoiler we're going to give is that they do reveal her identity in the final episode. And I was mm-hmm. like mixed surprise. Okay. I went through a lot of different candidates in my head as the series went on. And yeah. we sort of end up investigating along with Eloise. And so that, that was very cute. Yes. I was not disappointed with the reveal. And I thought it ultimately did make sense based on the clues. And I thought that the person when they show who it is their little facial expression was very cute and funny and i was (laughs) totally fine with it the thing that i also like about this show is that that element of it made it like gossip girl and 
Yes. So, and because we had a, in Gossip Girl, which, you know, was set in the time period that it was in, in the early 2000s, and that was narrated by this blogger who would put out gossip about the people in the, in the private school world. And it was voiced by Kristen Bell. But then the reveal of who, who Gossip Girl turned out to be was someone very different from Kristen Bell. So that was, Mm -hmm. it's very similar to that. And so don't get necessarily hung up on Julie Andrews narration, but she does a perfect job and I hope she continues. (laughs) And I don't want the other characters to find out who Lady Whistledown is yet. So that's, even though we know as viewers, that doesn't mean that everybody else is going to find out. And I'm excited to see season two and see them doing subversive little things to help not be discovered. Mm -hmm. I do want to say something funny about Eloise. Eloise is played by Claudia Jesse. And she does a great job. And you're right. She's supposed to be like 16 or whatever. Claudia Jesse is 30 in real life. What? Yes. <laughs> but I'm sure they cast her, A, because she looks young, and B, because each season is going to focus on a different Bridgerton child. And, mm-hmm. you know, they're going to have to make sure that the actors can play a way- wide range of ages. And I think that for that reason, she was well cast. Plus, she really looks like the woman who plays her mother. So, wow. Yeah. Isn't that wild? yeah i had no idea (laughs) yeah the girl who plays phoebe or i'm sorry daphne played by phoebe dinever she's 25 in real life so she's older than eloise but she's Mm. five years younger in real life (laughs) (laughs) oh my goodness yeah but some of the other actors who are really good i really like polly walker as baroness featherington she was hilarious and terrible and i just very much disliked her but she was really excellent in that role of the unlikable matriarch so yeah i thought they did some really interesting things with the mothers because yeah whatever her name is i don't remember violet yeah violet yeah so violet is daphne's mom Mm -hmm. and and then we have mrs featherington i don't remember her name portia but portia (laughs) thank you (laughs) they do some really interesting things because Portia is very, very practical, and even though I didn't like her attitude a lot of the times, I could kind of see where she was coming from. Mm-hmm. And Daphne and Violet have some conflict because Daphne feels like Violet didn't prepare her for marriage or the real world. Mm-hmm. I thought those things were kind of interesting yeah, and brought a little depth to it. I will say that another of my favorite characters was Penelope Featherington, who's oh, played yes. by yeah Nicola Coughlin, who's from Dairy Girls. <laughs> and the difference in her character from Dairy Girls and her character here is is vast. And I just kind of got a kick out of that. And she is also 34 in real life. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that either. Yeah, she and Eloise are portrayed as being good friends. And I think it's hilarious. They are supposed to be teenagers and they are women in their early 30s. So (laughs) she also is very funny on Twitter. I have not seen Dairy Girls yet, but this character has made me want to watch that. But she's just real sassy on Twitter and I love it. So nice. Nice. (laughs) Yeah. The other thing that I love is that the music is anachronistic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They feature this group called Vitamin String Quartet quite a bit playing what sounds like chamber music versions of what are actually current pop songs. So there's like some Ariana Grande covers in there and they play like other like actual period appropriate music, but there's a couple scenes where it's like, you know, that sounds like <laughs> some current song. And it's like, yeah, because yeah. it is. So there's also been some complaints that the fashion is anachronistic, but it's most it mostly looks pretty accurate. I think they're just trying to make it look a little bit more dynamic on the screen. But mm. yeah, I really loved the 
contemporary music, mm-hmm. but in in the string quartet style. Mm-hmm. And I think that that does pair well with the costumes because I'm not someone who really cares that much about historical accuracy, mm-hmm. especially if you can stretch it to kind of bring out the characters or like just generate a feel. And I think this series really has a feel of like lushness and the costumes are kind of extravagant. Mm-hmm. So I think it just all plays into, yeah, what they're what they're trying to portray. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if that makes sense. Sorry. Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> I, I think that it's it's going for a mood rather than mm-hmm. like verisimilitude. And that's yes. fine. The funny thing is that I started watching Dickensian after I finished this. Okay. Have you ever heard of that or seen it? I've heard of it. I haven't watched it. It's a series where they take like all of Charles Dickens' works and kind of mash it up as if it takes place in the same like little street in London. <laughs> and it's so there's a patina of fantasy there too, but it's Victorian, it's like lower middle class characters, it's very gritty and kind of gross and it's not pretty. And I like going from this to that is a little bit <laughs> jarring. So mm-hmm. I almost wanna like, oh, is there a show more like Bridgerton's brightness and frivolity that i could maybe <laughs> fit in there somewhere yeah and like something something like downton abbey went for sort of a middle path where it's mostly pretty realistic but there is some of it that seems a little far-fetched but yeah so i think this is definitely on the side of whimsy and romance and being right. a little bit like prettier than the actual world probably would have been but yeah so overall how did you feel about it well, like you, I did think it was pretty steamy. So this is, you know, there's no language issues, but there is, it is romance and that is its main genre. And so it's like watching a romance novel on the screen. So <laughs> that is occasionally slightly not comfortable, but yeah. <laughs> and there's also some things about it that there's some controversial storylines that, mm-hmm. you know, have gotten people talking online. So just be aware that, you know, some things might be a little bit triggering for for violence and i don't want to say too too much about that but that i didn't like very much that that kind of really upset me but i will say that i think overall it has good things to say about race i think it even though the women are not socially empowered that we have a lot of strong female characters who are likable and relatable and interesting and the men are sort of like not necessarily painted in the best light and i'm, I'm gonna be interested to see season two because i know anthony gets a major storyline in that and i'd like to see him redeemed because i did not like him in this season so yeah but overall i thought it was really entertaining and i'm excited for season two however i'm not going to read the books i will say that yeah okay that makes sense yeah i was laughing because you said all the women were interesting and then you were like and the men are sort of i was expecting <laughs> you to say like less interesting <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's not my favorite thing. Mm-hmm. I I watched it and I was excited for the mystery to be revealed. Mm-hmm. But it's not something that I think I will watch again. Mm-hmm. But I am going to watch season two because there will be a, a different focus. Mm-hmm. Well, the main focus will be on a different couple. Mm-hmm. Because I think the stuff that attracts me to Regency and Victorian era, you know, miniseries is usually the main couple so like you know pride and prejudice Mm -hmm. they misunderstand each other and then they understand each other better and then it's all cute and they're adorable Mm -hmm. but 
<laughs> Daphne and Simon were a little bit just unhealthy. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I don't, I don't even think I'm rooting for them to get together. So yeah, it's, it wasn't my favorite couple, but I can kind of see, I can sort of see the appeal. Yeah. But I am very interested in seeing how the focus shifts for next mm-hmm. season and where it will go from there. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Same. Exciting. Cool. I will want to say one final thing is that it's very cool that the the most popular series ever on Netflix is a piece that I think appeals to a largely female audience. Not that every person who watched it is female. My husband watched it all with me and enjoyed it. (laughs) But I think that it is largely, you know, maybe not designed for women, but it definitely has a a female-centric audience. And that's pretty cool. Yeah, that is very cool. And I have no details in my head again, but I feel like the writers or and directors were maybe heavily women. Mm-hmm. So that's that's just really cool. Yeah. yeah. And I give them props for that. Absolutely. So. And a lot of the, the showrunners, producers were women of color. So that's also very cool. Awesome. Great stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I wish them luck in season two. Yes. Although they can really only top themselves. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Where do you go from being the most watched Netflix thing? You know? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> we'll find out. But next week, we're going to talk about some more great pop culture stuff. Yes. And our theme music is by Joseph McDade. You can find me on Twitter at Carrie Gessner. And you can find me on Twitter at KW Taylor Writer. And you can find us together on Twitter at Pause Pop Podcast. If you want to email us, you can do that at positivelypopculture at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. Stay healthy and safe and join us next time for another episode of Pause Pop. Pause Pop.